It's like I'm losing my mind. Once upon a time. Once upon a one, once upon a time. Once upon a time. Hello, beautiful people. Today's Distantly Social is an excerpt from my conversation with James Gardner when we talked about Merrily We Roll Along. We broke off into a tangent, which I'm bringing to you now, about uh, James Lapine and George Firth. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. But I wonder also how much, I mean, because you, you've done Company as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you've done both Sondheim Firth yeah. productions. <laughs> and both, both somewhat problematic books. Well, but. so, but that's my thing. Like, I really feel, Peter, uh, Peter Sagal from uh, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me once postulated on Twitter that Company was the, had the greatest disparity between quality of score and quality of book. He was just like, is there is there a musical with a worse book and a better score, <laughs> or vice versa? He said, like, what? And that was until he said that, not ever something I'd thought about. I've directed Company, like I did, yeah. and I was always just like, I was very young when I did. I was twenty one when I directed Company. Yeah. I was too young, but I was like, <laughs> but I was always, I never really thought about the book of Company before in any yeah. kind of serious way. And I went back and read it. Yeah, it's right. And then I've it's... seen it like three times since then, and I was like, yeah, this is not a great yeah book, and. I don't think Merrily has a great yeah. book either. Listen, I have the utmost sympathy for book writers in general. Sure. What what book writers have to do is 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 make uh It's the hardest job. It's amazing. It's the hardest It, it is though. It's no, amazing. It, it, and it's a it's in a, a lot puzzle. of ways it is, yeah. And um and I also think of the shows that that Sondheim wrote, George Firth was you know, ch- challenged with the the hardest. Uh, oh sure. Structures. I mean, I sure. mean, company. They were really trying to do something. The company, I do like. Yeah. Ultimately, go. This was so piecemeal and like yeah. made up and mm-hmm. like the se- What I kind of decided on company was like the scenes aren't that bad. Right. Like, it's the way they all yeah. go together yeah. that doesn't quite work for me. And it feels a little sitcommy. Yeah. It, yeah. And yeah. also a little bit like things happen. The moment I always like point to is at the end when Joanne says like when he, when Bobby says, well, but who would take care of me? Yeah. And then like Joanne's like, ooh, like that was a thing. <laughs> and I I remember I was watching it one time. I remember where I was watching this production somewhere and I was like. That's nothing. Like that was absolutely. And then she like, I just did somebody. Like that's the big epiphany <laughs> moment. And I'm just like, but she didn't say anything. Like yeah. she didn't. That isn't. That isn't a revelation. That isn't a moment. Like it's nothing. <laughs> it. But it. It is something because like the music stingers come in, and yeah. it is a really like it's also sandwiched between two tremendous songs. Right. So ultimately, as I've said on this podcast before, and I say this as a, as a playwright, nobody walks out whistling the book. So like if mm-hmm. the like you know these two epic songs on either side of it nobody really cares how we got to being alive we yeah. just sort of got there yeah um but i think company does have great scenes in it actually it was because you were peter no. i was yes you're peter. peter's the the pot smoking couple, right yeah that was it was when i saw the production signature mm-hmm. that um that scene bugged me for the first time interesting because you're, i realized you're welcome that, yeah you, thank you very uh-huh. much because it was but it was the first time i'd seen it was so funny seeing you all up there most of you as couples, obviously not yeah. everybody was, but like it put a certain level of like uncomfortableness on the show for me. Um, being like, man, I couldn't do that eight times a week with my wife. That was that moment yeah. of just being like, I don't know about that. And what 
so even in the scenes where the two people weren't married, it put that on everything. Like everything yeah. suddenly had that vibe to it. And watching that scene, it was the first time I was really like, man, Peter's not a good guy. No, he's like really yeah, not really a good not guy. A good guy. Yeah. And, like, and, and very jealous of their relationship, too, because yeah. of the way that that scene is structured. I mean, the cool thing about that show, though, as an actor, mm-hmm. is you can put so much on top of the scenes. And there, you, there's so much... Um, there's so much history between these characters that isn't on the page mm, right. that you can really layer whatever you want on top of it. And I remember that, I mean, there's clearly something going on between the two of them. Um, between Bobby and Susan or yeah, between Bobby and uh, Jenny, Jenny. Sorry. Um, yeah. There's clearly something, something going on there. There's some history there that you're not aware of what it is. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting to sort of like dive in and figure out what that was mm-hmm. and what Peter was aware of. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there was stuff too that like my wife and uh, Matt Scott, who mm-hmm. played Bobby, had a conversation about off stage. Sure. Uh, about you know that well, this is our history. He doesn't know any of that, and uh-huh. that bothered the hell out of me as not as an actor and as the as sure a husband going yeah. like, well, what do I not know that's not, going yeah, on? Yeah. So I remember like being on stage and like checking to see what these these moments between them were mm-hmm. and. Anyway, yeah. but that is it, it is that interesting, like how that decision to cast married couples draws that show into very sharp focus. Oh, it totally. Yeah. And it was and I don't know if everyone in the audience had that experience, obviously not knowing all you guys yeah. and like, you know, but like and it on certain scenes, it, it, it changed everything. What yeah. I will say about it. And it made like the Harry and Sarah scene funnier. Yeah. Because it's Evan and Tracy and they're hilarious. Sure. Yeah. And I know them and they're very funny. But like it made the dramatic stuff more dramatic. It made the tender yeah. stuff more tender. Like it really took everything to another level. But it also exposed mm-hmm. a lot of the like the there's flaws. no there yeah. there. Like there yeah. or not as much there there as, as it wants to be. Right. And I do feel like it was unfair to sort of throw such a big responsibility on George Firth for Merrily mm-hmm. and then just open because the show was not taken out of town mm-hmm. at all. It, it, it opened straight into previews. Well, it's like they said in the, they did their original table read of it and they were enamored. I mean, they thought yeah. it was perfect. Apparently they did not know it was a problem until yeah. the first preview. Yeah. Like nobody had a clue. Yeah. And that is an experience I can relate to. Like when yeah. you get in front of an audience for the first time and you go, oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we thought was happening. Yeah. Um, well, that goes to show like how much do, pe- do people have to know about that show before they walk into that show? And right. how much of that show works on a second viewing that doesn't work on the first yeah. viewing? If you know exactly where they're going to end up at the end, mm-hmm. how heartbreaking is that show throughout? Oh, sure. So, yeah. I mean, maybe it, it is a show that works – on multiple, I mean, every time I watch that show, every time I've seen it, show, yes, there's so much more there. There's and, and the crazy thing about that show too that I love about Merrily is that it, the older you get, yeah, it's so different. Mm-hmm. The way you experience that show is so so different. Yeah, yeah. Than the way I experienced that show when I was, you know, uh, seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard our time for the first time. I think my, if I'm remembering correctly, my reaction was yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are going to change the world. We are the movers. We are the shapers. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And now I listen to that, and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Kids will do that to you. Exactly. I think it's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. There's. I mean, it's a great. It, but it. 
and it, it's all but it's also the funny thing of like one of the things that the people have said about company is that one of the problems with it is is that it's a story about straight romance written by two closeted gay men. <laughs> and I think maybe one of the problems with Merrily is that it's a show about compromisers written by including Hal Prince and wildly that, successful and uncompromising yes. people. I mean it's yes. like I think that you know especially Sondheim but also Hal Prince to I mean Greg was a you know maverick run around kind of artistic force and mm-hmm. He had yes was wildly successful. Yeah. George Firth was doing fine. Like everybody's doing great. Exactly. And they suddenly come people into who this. didn't compromise one bit. Right. And yeah. they suddenly come into this material. And ironically, from what it sounds like, don't compromise on what they're writing, and then it becomes a huge problem. Uh, I don't think they they necessarily either agreed on what they were writing because no, Sondheim has said yeah that he didn't know it was a show about friendship until later. Yeah, he believed it was a show about a person who works within the system, a person who doesn't work within the system, and a person who uh, just doesn't even get involved with the system. He's outside the system, yeah. Um, and hmm. George Firth thought it was about friendship. I think George Firth was right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, Oh, I agree, too. Yeah. I, think, I, I mean, Sondheim's view on it is is pretty academic. His, well, but his view on his own work is oh, tends to always be. fascinating yeah. to yeah. me, with the exception of Sweeney Todd, which seems to be the only show that he had like a very clear idea yeah. in sync with everybody else about what it was yeah. about. And it seems to me too, like like Lapine, I think in him, there's a, with the exception of passion. Um, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I like passion, but I, yeah. I think Into the Woods and yeah, Sunday, Sunday, like it's clear that, that Lapine and him were sort of working in tandem. Yes. Um, yeah, which is which goes to though the way I think that like Lapine worked. I mean, because Sondheim coming out of the much more old school, write the book, write the score, go to Boston, yeah. kind of model, and Lapine from the whatever like the late seventies off Broadway thing is like no, we just put it up and we look at it and then we take it down and we rework on it and then we do another workshop. You know, like right. much more of like let's just try things over and over again until we figure out what the story is yeah. almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, his work with William Finn is is just is incredible, oh, yeah. giving yeah. form to what has now become falsettos. Like, yeah. it's abs- and anybody who doesn't think that James Lapine was integral to falsettos, check out In Trousers sometime yeah. and just watch like one of the messiest, interesting but <laughs> messiest shows I've ever like seen in my life. I've I, my only experience with falsettos is what it cur- it's is, current is its current shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know In Trousers at all? Have you no. never. That's the prequel to exactly. No. Yeah, it's although it is weird because when you I I didn't know falsettos at all mm-hmm. until I saw that recent oh the Lapine production sure sure it does sort of start in the middle of yep. the story it does you go huh I didn't get a lot of uh, of exposition yep. here there's yeah. none <laughs> because it is part two and three right. And now part one, but I mean part one is very easy to understand. That's why you yeah. can just live in part two and three. But in trousers is is a bonkers show, and yeah. and and kind of is way all over the place. And Lapine really brought that story into a much sharper focus for first Malt of the Falsettos and then Falsetto Land. But so yeah, but so I think that 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 goes to the way they wrote those two shows that they yeah. they put them up, you know, like off Broadway or the Old Globe, and they like worked them and neat and tried a lot of different things, and then then put it on Broadway in a much more like finished form. Whereas with with Merrily, and all of the stuff he did with Hal Prince, it it, it is sort of like it was one of theirs ideas or the other, mm-hmm. and the other one came to it. And usually it was Hal Prince initiating everything. Right. 
But yeah, every time Sondheim like talks about his shows in the moment, like if you watch in the moment interviews, like it does seem like he doesn't really know <laughs> what he's writing. He's just sort of writing. Which is fascinating because that does so not d- doesn't translate in the work itself. Not at all. No. I mean, it's just. I mean, mm-hmm. I always every I teach a musical theater performance class, mm-hmm. and I always use his music and his work as an example. Sure. Of look how brilliant. Look how the the underscoring is serving as subtext to what's happening in the lyric, and like I mean, it's like it's. Yeah, clear how how brilliant the man is. Yeah. So when you think to yourself, well, maybe he didn't know a hundred percent what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot of great, got a great instincts, obviously. <laughs> and but the thing I've always appreciated so much about him now, as an adult, is the fact that he not only is the best at what he does, but he is a very good at explaining his process. He's an excellent teacher, mm-hmm. which not everybody who's brilliant. In fact, in my experience, people who are like brilliant at something are generally terrible at teaching. The story I was like, my, my, yeah. my grandmother was a tremendous watercolorist. You can see her art like around us right now. Right. And she, my mom often tells a story about her trying to teach my mother to draw and her being like, okay, so draw that apple. And my mother <laughs> would say, how? And she goes, by drawing it. What are you talking about? Like she could just do it and she couldn't teach her how to to do it. And I've always admired the fact that like you have books like finishing the hat and look, I made a hat Mm -hmm. that very clearly lay out. Yeah. This is how I do what I do. This is what I'm thinking when I'm working. This is where the music comes in here. This is why this lyric is good. This is why this lyric is disappointing. That's, this is, it's just such a great, easy to understand explanation of what he does. And that probably comes from his relationship with with Oscar Hammerstein. Yeah, absolutely. you know, and he said he thinks teaching is a sacred profession, and I like, but but it's it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to be good at it. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Like, I mean, you can't imagine almost anyone else doing in the like who's who's on that level. Like, right. I cannot imagine Andrew Lloyd Webber coming down and being like, "This is what Katz is." <laughs> I wish he would, but he won't. Um, and I've seen other people give master classes and stuff, you know. And yeah. there is always a certain like I don't know I just sort of like this felt good this and thing, I just did yeah. this thing you yeah. know like, and like you know I mean he wrote he, he his approach to things is always very intellectual but it's just so funny that like you say he didn't know he was writing a show about friendship and then you have a song in it like Old Friends or yeah. even like Franklin Shepard Inc which is I mean it's a breakdown song obviously mm-hmm. but it is a song about a guy really getting to the heart of what's wrong with his best friend like, it's very clear to me what's wrong with this guy. We're banging on doors, shouting here again. We're risking it all on a dime. The faraway shores looking here again. The only thing left is when we know we should come. 